0: You have your Bibles, please turn to Second Timothy, Second Timothy, Chapter Three, Second Timothy, Chapter Three. Paul, in writing to Timothy, and this is uh, considered to be by those who've studied it out and also reading it, it becomes pretty clear. This was the last letter that Paul ever wrote. This was his last epistle. He's writing to Timothy, and it's not one of sadness and dourness. It's Paul, basically, his last shout of victory before he was called into glory. Uh, It's generally understood historically that he was martyred under Nero Caesar around 62 AD. Uh, Between 62 and 65, it's a little hard sometimes to get the exact year because of things going on. But generally around 62 AD, he was condemned at his second trial and beheaded is what history tells us. So Paul's getting ready to say goodbye to everybody and he's uh, writing to Timothy. So he says in verse 10 of chapter 3, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, love. Perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who desire to and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, amen. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray you would give us grace at this time as we consider this portion of your holy word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul here is talking to Timothy about the dangers in this world, but then he points him to the scriptures and the sufficiency of the word of God. He points to his own life as an example for Timothy to follow, and not because Paul thought he was sinless, but because the grace of God had been effectually at work in Paul, and so he was able to point to his life and say, The evidence of salvation and of justification have been in my life because God has given me grace and you have seen how I have lived. Nice to be able to say that at the end of one's life. So he says, you have carefully followed my doctrine. That is my teaching, my manner of life, purpose. Paul clearly had a purpose. It was easy to follow because his purpose was singular. Paul wasn't scattered all over the place. My faith, note, long-suffering is patience. Patience in the world, in preaching the gospel, patience with believers who sometimes don't act as mature as they ought to. But love, that's what caused him to have long-suffering because he loved the brethren. Love, perseverance, Paul stayed with it. Timothy saw that. Now Paul's at the end of his life. Primarily, he's before uh, Nero Caesar, uh, or was soon to be brought before him. Uh, because he had persevered in his profession of faith. He hadn't denied the faith to have an easy life. He continued to confess Christ. Persecutions followed that. Afflictions. Then he says, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Timothy was aware of those persecutions. Paul wasn't always received in the world. Uh, sometimes even professed Christians, so maybe perhaps true Christians, sometimes uh, stood away from him. As he mentions that toward the end of this epistle that everybody had forsaken him. Paul was considered a dangerous person. Being associated with Paul at this time could cost you your life. Uh, he does make mention of those who had stood with him, but he received persecutions, not just at Rome, but in other parts of the Roman Empire. He said, what persecutions I endured. But note, he says, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. So Paul recognized and tells Timothy, God delivered me out of all of those. Now, Paul's writing this as somebody who's in chains, getting ready probably to die, as he was pretty much aware. But he says, the Lord had delivered me out of all of them. Well, providentially, out of those particular trials, he had been physically delivered. But Paul knew that he would be delivered from all his trials because he trusted in Christ. And as he says elsewhere, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So God knows how to deliver his servants, either in life or in death. If you remember uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they stood up to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that's what they told him. said, whether our God wants to deliver us out of your hands through life or death, I'm paraphrasing, uh, he can do that. He's still God. We're not going to worship your idols. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't thrilled with that because he wasn't used to people disagreeing with him. But after the Lord walked with him, as Nebuchadnezzar looked in to the fiery... uh, oven that he'd made he said i see three men walking and a fourth one that looks like the son of god so he called them forth and the three came came out and there was not even the smell of smoke on them. the only thing the fire done is burned the ropes that bound them kind of an interesting lesson and application in regard to the trials that we go through but they were fully prepared that if god allowed them to be burned to death that they would still honor god Uh, next week we celebrate reformation sunday and we think of men like Thomas Cramner or William Tyndale um, and a whole long list of martyrs, men and women, and even some children who were burnt at the stake because of their confession uh, of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as the only head of the church and the only Savior and the only mediator between God and men. People didn't want to hear that. They had their system of religion and uh, those who read God's word and trusted in it were considered to be horrible people because they dared to shake up the the established society. But they stood nevertheless, and many of them died, but they knew that their death was simply entering into the presence of the Lord. So he goes on and says to Timothy in verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, either greater or lesser, but it'll be there because this world is not our final home. then he goes on and says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They'll be telling lies to other people, and they themselves will believe their lies. They'll believe their own lies, and they'll believe a lie. And so he says, they're going to get worse and worse. So don't expect that you're going to have uh, all the heretics necessarily stop being heretics. They're going to continue to try to, try to twist the truth and turn men away from God. They'll deceive others, and they themselves are deceived. So he reminds them of that. Don't think that all those who profess religion are necessarily friends to the Christian faith. But he tells Timothy, regardless of that, verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, Paul would be one of those individuals, and earlier in chapter 1, Paul makes mention of timothy's mother and grandmother uh, who were believers and he tells timothy in verse 15 and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures now that word childhood there in the original language uh, is the word uh, brefe that from an infant a brefe is an infant in arms okay not just a little paidea child that's old enough to take orders or a Different words for children in in the Greek language, uh, techna or technia means a little one. Techna is just the word, generic word for child, um, and it can be real little or getting older. Paideia usually is a that word can also be translated servant sometimes. So it's a child old enough to serve. Uh, but the word brefe means a baby in arms, being held in its mother's arms, or in Timothy's case, sometimes his grandmother's arms. He was taught the Holy Scriptures. Note that, that from infancy, we could translate this, from your youngest, tenderest years, you have known the Holy Scriptures. So what do we learn about children in this verse? They're capable of knowing the Holy Scriptures. So parents, don't hold back from teaching your children the Word of God. Read the Bible to them. Talk to them about it. And you may say, well, they don't have a lot of understanding. Well, Paul didn't think that. He knew that Timothy, as a babe in arms, heard and knew the Holy Scriptures. That doesn't mean he had an encyclopedic theological knowledge of everything the Bible taught, but he indeed had knowledge. He heard the gospel from the Scriptures. Keep in mind also, when Timothy was a little lad, his mother and grandmother probably took him to the synagogue. At that time, later it would have been churches, but as he was a baby, probably most of the scriptures he was hearing uh, was what we today would call the Old Testament. So he heard about the promises of the Messiah from his earliest years. And it is possible by the time Timothy was uh, old enough to understand, the gospels who had been, some of them had been written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's probably written later. but he heard the gospels. The, the point is, Timothy heard the Word of God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, you know that promise that is so awesome. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31. If you want to turn there, we'll read it. So this is what God says. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31. Here we read, this is God speaking to Jeremiah about the 6th century B.C. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. The first covenant of the Mosaic covenant that he's referring to was written on stone. That was the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 14 calls the 10 commandments the covenant and so that covenant if you remember when Moses came down having been 40 days on Mount Sinai when he came down he found that um, Aaron and the others they had built a golden calf they were burning incense to it uh, and they committed apostasy and they were you know having a great big party and when Moses came down uh, he saw what was going on he took the law and threw it to the ground and it was shattered and broken. Later, God had him come back up and um, God rewrote the the commandments on stone tablets again for him. But the point was that they had broken the covenant. They hadn't kept it because it was an external covenant. It hadn't changed their hearts. And so God addresses this in Jeremiah 31. So he says he's going to make a covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that he made with their fathers in the day he took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. And then he says, "Which uh, my covenant, which is they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. What law is that? Well, it, in context, the Ten Commandments, but it would mean all of God's word. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So this is going to be who they are, not just something external to who they are. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So he's saying, it's not going to be necessary to teach my people to know the Lord. It doesn't say there'll be no teachers. Obviously, in the New Testament, Christ has appointed teachers. He talks about that in the gifts in Ephesians five, uh, that he, or 4, rather, that he's appointed apostles, prophets, and evangelists, those temporary gifts at the beginning of the church, and then finally pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints so we can grow into the unity of the faith. But note what He says, They won't be saying that, it says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Now, do you remember when the apostles were arguing about who was greatest and who would probably be the least? And Jesus, what did he do? He took a small child, set him in the midst. And he referred to, you know, if you become like one of these, you know, a, a child, then you'd be great in the kingdom of heaven. On Judgment Day, Jesus talks about, in as much as you've done it to one of these, the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. But Jesus, when he wanted to exemplify one who men might consider to be the least in the kingdom of heaven, he took a child. And he said, the problem's not with the child, the problem's with you grownups, you you adults. You need to start looking at and see what does it mean not to be childish, but to be childlike. And so that's what our Lord taught us. The promise was that from the least of them to the greatest, that he would write his law in their hearts and minds. And why is this? Because I'll forgive their sins. That's why when you talk to our children, generally they may not know a whole lot, but if their parents have done their duty uh, in teaching them the word of God and the gospel, they'll be able to tell you that they love Jesus or that he loves them because he died for their sins. He died on the cross. If you ask most children, you ask them, what do you know about Jesus? He died on the cross for me. And what does that mean? Well, they know he's the one that forgives their sins. And so back in, uh, 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, and he's going to describe how he knew the Holy Scriptures, what did he know about them, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I remember talking to a young girl not too long ago, uh, and I encouraged her to read the Bible, and she actually, she actually asked me, why should I read the Bible? <laughs> You know, I could think of there's about a million reasons and plus more, but I just told her. I said, because uh, people won't be able to trick you quite so easily if you know God's word. And she thought that was pretty good. Good motivation to read the scripture. I don't know if she's going to. She doesn't uh, go to this congregation, but uh, I was able to tell her that. Well, because you won't. It won't be easy for you know people to trick you. <laughs> uh, in this day and age, if you can give your children that kind of wisdom, you're way ahead of most folks. Okay. Our children need to know the truth in doctrine and in practice and in life. They need to know what is right and pleasing before the Lord. But note here, Paul told Timothy, the scriptures were able to, note he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Wisdom is knowing the truth and acting upon it. You know, knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing the truth and living or acting according to what it is, Um, which is in Christ Jesus all right, so the is for salvation? That is when someone comes along with a false gospel, and there was plenty of that going on in the early church. There's been plenty of it going on throughout church history. There's plenty of that, sadly, still going on in our day and age, false gospels. If you remember in Acts 15, men came up, um, they came up to the church in Antioch uh, and began preaching, unless you are circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were trying to get people to think that you must do some type of ceremony in order to have God's good pleasure. And as you know, Paul opposed that in the Jerusalem council. They concluded and wrote back and said, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by any works of righteousness that we might do. And then Paul wrote his epistles to reinforce that in the churches where he had preached. And so did the other apostles in the epistles we have in the new Testament. So the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise. That is, you'll be able to discern things. You know, wisdom is also just that, separating things, separating the holy from the unholy, separating truth from the lie, separating right behavior, right motivation from the false so that we can know what is right and then grace by God's Holy Spirit to do it. So Paul's telling Timothy that from his earliest years, as a babe in arms, he knew the Holy Scriptures which are able to make him wise for salvation. And he had done that through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we now learn from this verse, what is the purpose of scripture? It's to make us wise for salvation, no, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Our faith is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. Jesus is not a mere creature, If he was only a man then the bible would not direct us to put our faith in him because the bible uh, refers to those uh, as foolish who put their trust in man Uh, men are not reliable or stable but one who is both god and man and eternal in his person that is our lord jesus christ time and again in both testaments is he we are directed to him as the object of our faith and through him to believe in god the father and the holy spirit the one triune god but our faith is in christ jesus christ christos messiah mashiach in hebrew through faith which is in the messiah jesus the anointed one of god yeshua jesus that name means salvation remember matthew 121 you shall call his name jesus for he shall save his people from their sins And so Paul's telling Timothy, the scriptures are what will give you wisdom so that you will have faith in Christ Jesus. Because we come to know the Lord from his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ is very clear on that. And then Paul directs him to the scriptures and has some things to say about it. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, if you've ever heard a sermon or teaching on this verse, you probably know that phrase, uh, by inspiration of God, is really only one word in the Greek language. Uh, and that word is theophnustas. Okay, theophnustas. Theos means God. Nustas is actually the word that can mean breath or spirit. And so that's why we get the word inspired. You hear the word spire there, the idea of, you know, you, if you expire, you, you breathe your last. If you're inspired... Uh, The Holy Spirit is working in you. But he says, all scripture is given by theophanoustos. That is, it's God's breath. It is given by God's breath. All scripture is God-breathed, is the idea. Because when you speak, what are you doing? Air is coming up for us physically. When you speak, air comes out of your lungs. It goes through your vocal cords. And amazingly, uh, our brain is able to stretch and pull the the vocal cords, so they make different uh, sounds, you know, high, low, and whatever else it is, so we're able to make sounds. It's actually our breath that's doing that. Paul is saying that the scriptures are so closely related to God himself, you can refer to the, and by the way, the word scripture, graphe, means that which is written, Paul's not talking about some ambiguous word of God that might pop into somebody's head. He's talking about the written word of God. And he said, it is so closely associated with God himself, it is the very breath of God. It's given by God's breath. Now, God worked through men, as Peter tells us, holy men uh, were uh, moved by the Holy Spirit, that the scripture didn't come by the will of man. But men who were inspired by God, that is the Holy Spirit was at work, they wrote. God used their personalities and used their knowledge and wisdom, but he had them write infallibly. And that's what Paul tells Timothy here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. Doctrine is the $2 word for teaching always cracks me up when I hear, you know, sometimes you run into some neo-evangelicals and say, well, in our church, we're not not really into doctrine. Like, really? You guys aren't into teaching? You don't teach about Jesus? Oh, yeah, we do that. Well, the word doctrine means teaching. It's really foolish. Well, we're not into doctrine. What they mean is we're ignorant as a fence post and don't really understand the historic faith that well. So we just go ahead and anoint ourselves and say we're extra smart by not learning anything. Okay, that's really what they're saying. Okay. And I know I'm being rude as all get out when I say that, okay? But that's what it is. When you see somebody drinking poison, don't call it soda pop. Call it for what it is. Say that's really bad. When someone says they're not into doctrine, be gentle with them. Because again, they might be as ignorant as a fence post. Such were some of us at some point. Maybe that's the way some of us are now compared to others. But we don't compare ourselves with others. The point is, is that <clears throat> you need to be in the doctrine. Most of the time when people are saying that, what they mean is man-made doctrine. Sure, we're not into that either, okay? But good, solid theology and Bible teaching is not man-made doctrine, okay? Mormonism is man-made doctrine, okay, with all their lies, okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses with all of their falsehoods, yes, that's man-made. Do- How do we know that? Because it doesn't jive with what's in the Bible, to put it bluntly. It doesn't go along with Scripture, The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. When we compare the Book of Mormon or the teachings of the Watchtower Society or many of the declarations of the Church of Rome or some of the things that neo-Orthodox liberal Protestants say, it's not an agreement with Scripture. You know, like Paul, uh, or actually Jeremiah, when God spoke to him, he said, he that has my word, let him speak my word. Uh, you know, uh, he that has a dream. Before that, he said, "Let him tell his dream." But he that has my word, let him speak it faithfully. He said, "What is the chaff to the wheat?" Okay, and the chaff is that which the wind blows away; it has no substance. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. There it is, right in your Bible. For reproof, now doctrine is teaching. Reproof is where you get in front of somebody and tell them, "Don't go this direction." The scripture does that. You know, you ever feel like you're on the wrong path? Well, maybe there was some admonitions in scripture that either you were ignorant of or you ignored. Okay. But praise God, by God's word, when it's in our hearts and minds, according to Jeremiah 31, what happens? Sometimes we think, I think I'm going to do that. Oh, no, I can't do that. Scripture says not to. All right. So reproof is necessary. Parents know how to reprove their children. God knows how to reprove parents, adults, grown-up people, all of us. The scripture gets in front of us and says, this is not the right path for you to follow because you'll be breaking God's commands. So don't go this route. So the scripture is profitable for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, and then for correction. It doesn't just get in front of you until you don't go this way. It turns you around. Correction. You know, when a plane is off course, it can be a disaster because if they run out of fuel and they're nowhere near uh, an airport or they're out over the middle of the ocean because the navigator wasn't paying attention or the pilot wasn't uh, paying attention to the uh, instruments telling him we've got to go this route, got off course, it could be a disaster. And that has happened historically. And the same thing has happened to ships. You know, when they've gone through areas where there's reefs and coral uh, in the ocean uh, or just land itself with rocks and they weren't paying attention or they got off course and they ripped the bottom out of their ship and many lives were lost. It was a real process where I have lighthouses to kind of warn people. Well, the scripture is good for correction. It puts you back on the right path so you don't make shipwreck. It's, so it'll reprove you. And Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten and also for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it stops you from going the wrong way, turns you around to go the right way, and then gives you instruction in righteousness. He leads me in the path of what? In the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So the scripture will stop you from going the wrong way, turn you around toward the right way, and then lead you by the hand or the heart and the mind to go the right direction. So that's what scripture does. so that's what Paul's telling Timothy that's why we are to preach the word this comes about when the holy spirit empowers the word and it becomes effective in the hearts of those who hear it faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god and how shall they hear without a preacher it says that in romans chapter 10 so the gospel is to be proclaimed and to be preached that doesn't mean necessarily an official preacher means it needs to be set forth Parents, you preach to your children when you teach them about Jesus, okay? We preach to others. We need to preach to ourselves sometimes. Every person in this room, in one sense, is a preacher. Now, if you've been called specifically to preach the word as a pastor, that's a different thing. But it's part of that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When you hear the word of God, not the opinions of men, but when you hear the word of God, the Holy Spirit uses that message to change your heart, and you believe it. That's why in the book of Acts, you don't find the apostles ever asking someone to pray the sinner's prayer. You just don't find that. You know, you you, you present the gospel and they say, now you want to pray the sinner's prayer. And then when they're done praying it, they tell them, oh, you're saved now. Don't ever doubt it. Really? Because if you tell a person to do that and they've not really been born again, you have just told them when the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and convince convince you of your sin so you can actually truly be saved. You have just taught them to resist that. But you said, don't ever doubt your salvation. Well, if you're truly saved, that is, you're trusting in Jesus and God has given you an assurance from Scripture, then you don't need to be doubting your salvation. But if you're not really trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's revealed in Scripture, if you've never really repented of your sins, I'm not saying you don't have a struggle with sin. Christians have struggle with sins. We hate it. But if you're like the pig that goes and wallows in the mire, the sow that was washed, or the dog returning to its vomit, don't fool yourself. If you say, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I was told never to doubt that. So whenever I hear a sermon that tells me I might not be saved, even though my life is a complete shambles and I'm doing all kinds of stuff that the Bible condemns and says I won't enter into the kingdom of heaven, I will just reject all of that because I prayed the sinner's prayer, okay? That's utterly foolishness. The Holy Spirit will change your life. And if that hasn't happened, you need to start calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible does say whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I might be here this day in God's providence telling you this because you need to hear it. All right. My point is don't rely on ceremonies or if you prayed a prayer one time because the Bible says, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm going to use the old King James here for this one that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One of the reasons why I love the Old King James is that T-H ending on the word believe, that is a continuous tense. That's the present continuous idea. He that believeth is saved. Not he who once believed, but he that believeth. You know, if we could say everybody that's alive is breathing. And someone says, yes, I remember when I was a kid, I took a breath once. Haven't had a breath since. Okay. You go, you're dead if that's the case. Okay. You got to breathe. All right. Uh, Breathing and believing are similar in the sense that it's an ongoing thing. Yes, there was a point when you started breathing, all right, when you were born. When you're born again, you begin believing. But it's not a one-time thing. You were justified at that moment. Justification and faith come together. You know, we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Whether you fully understand all the theology of it or not, if you're believing in Jesus, God declares you to be forgiven and righteous in his sight. So you were saved and your faith was given to you as a gift from God, but it's not something that he gives and then there's no more of it after that point. And when you believe, you begin to live a life of gratitude. We talk about living a holy life. We're not talking about trying to earn your salvation. We're saying if your heart's been changed because of Jesus Christ dying for you, because he loved you so much, you're gonna wanna serve the Lord. And that's what Paul is talking about in these things. Uh, For instruction in righteousness, the more we learn, what does it mean that I'm right before God? Well, the first thing, instruction in righteousness is to learn about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. that is given to you freely, not based upon your works, because if it was based on that, none of us would ever have it. Based upon God's grace and his gift and the fact that Jesus died for all your sins, including your sin of unbelief. That's why the Holy Spirit took that away in time. But in the book of acts when the apostles preached they just simply preached the gospel and they trust the holy spirit to bring people to faith in christ they didn't try to manipulate them they didn't give them false assurance they said believe on the lord jesus christ and you shall be saved and your house they didn't then add so let's pray this little prayer here right here okay they just said if you believe and what happened well did the man pray of course he prayed Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." You can be sure of that man, when he believed, he began to pray, but they didn't tell him that something he had done is what saved him. They pointed him to Christ. So if you, you feel like, well, but I did pray a prayer, fine. God can use that. I'm not saying, you know, there might be a time to encourage someone to pray, but you can teach a parrot to pray the, the sinner's prayer. I probably have to be a pretty intelligent parrot because it's a long prayer somewhat. But the point is, is it just saying something without understanding it or believing doesn't save you. What saves you is the Lord Jesus Christ and you trusting in him. Well, you say, but I prayed when that. Yeah, of course you prayed. Babies when they're born start breathing. So of course you prayed. You've been praying ever since I would imagine because prayer is the expression of faith. We continue, the Bible says pray without ceasing. That's pretty good. You breathe without ceasing also as much as long as you can anyway in this life uh prayer prayer without ceasing we believe our faith continues why because we're kept by the power of god through faith unto salvation so paul tells timothy uh it's good for instruction and in righteousness it doesn't just stop you turn you around get you on the right path but it shows you the, the path to walk and as paul said all those that live godly in christ jesus shall suffer persecution i remember the day the lord opened my eyes when i realized in psalm 23 Right after he says, he, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I, thought, I wonder where that path goes. The very next verses, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So if you're walking in the way of righteousness, it goes through the valley of the shadow of death. But what did David say? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So Paul tells Timothy, the word of God is what you need to preach, what you need to focus on. And note, it's all given by inspiration of God. It's what we need, that the man of God may be complete. That the man of God may be complete. That means completely equipped is what that that Greek word there means. Uh, That he might have everything that he needs. Nothing essential is missing. Note, he doesn't tell Timothy... You better really pray. You know that you get extra revelation. You better pray that you know you can be in a church where people will prophesy and tell you what to do. Doesn't do that at all. Now those gifts were operative in the early church, and we certainly won't mock the uh, those gifts. But he's telling Timothy, look at the scriptures. That's what you need because there are false prophets, there are wicked men and, and evil doers and imposters, what deceiving others and being deceived. And just because someone claims to be an apostle or a prophet and says you must do what they say, take it to the scriptures, all right? Because you're going to find like the Ephesian church in Revelation 3, you have tested those who said they were apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. They put them to the test. Today with the neo-apostolic movement, we have people running around claiming they're apostles, Okay used to be in the inner city you find storefront churches and it would say apostle and bishop whatever you know because some guy had empty hands on an empty head had anointed himself and declared himself to be something special and usually get a following of about 15 people sometimes they get several thousand people but the fact of the matter is the word of god is what god points us to anything any man says to you you take to the scriptures including me You go to the scriptures, be a Berean, search the scriptures to see whether or not these things are so. But Paul points Timothy to the word of God, the written word of God. Grafe is the Greek word. We get the word graphite because that's what we put in pencils. The Greek word grafe means scripture, that which is written. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to live a life pleasing to God? Go to the word of God. Study it read it you say well sometimes it's hard to understand well you know if you walk in a forest you don't find the trees that that grow naturally organically you don't find them exactly three feet apart or six feet apart here's one wow i measured it was exactly six feet i went to the next one exactly six feet the whole forest for hundreds of miles every tree was exactly six feet you won't find that beloved that's not the way god does things he's an artist okay and he gives his word in the way we need to receive it there's order though if you look at you know if you can see the forest and not just get caught up on the trees you realize wow there's something really beautiful here and healthy and lovely and life-giving okay um the trees produce oxygen that we need there's animals that you know that's their home etc we're able to go enjoy it the word of god is given to us as an in an organic way it's the same god and so you say well where's the chapter that tells me uh, about the five points of calvinism okay <laughs> or to refute it or whatever, okay? Um, you're not gonna find that. You have to do some Bible study, okay? A little here, a little here, there. Line upon line, precept upon precept. It is orderly, it is expressive, it is true. It's not confusing, but if you're looking for a, I wanna outline one, two, three, four, five, sometimes you will find that in certain passages. Sometimes the truth you find, oh, look, this one verse illuminates this other one over here, taking everything in context. And wow, this is great. The man of God, when he goes to the scriptures and he's trusting God through his word, he's thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to know what God's will is for you? Go to the Bible. The Bible is God's word. This is what Paul, as Paul's getting ready to die, he tells Timothy, go to the scriptures. Remember, it's God breathed. It's profitable. It's all you need. That's what he's saying here. He said it's all you need, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God give us grace to heed this lesson, and may he write it in our hearts. Because the scripture is wonderful, but you know, the scripture is a means to an end. It's a means of grace, and grace leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again, who presently intercedes for us in heaven, and is coming again in glory And we're going to see Jesus someday. And we're going to find out that, wow, everything the Bible said was true. The Lord Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we're going to be praising him according to his word throughout all eternity. May God be pleased to start that work in us now and continue it by his power and grace. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your kindness, for your grace and your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you would work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Write your word in our hearts and minds that we truly would know you as our God and as the one who has forgiven our sins through your Son, Jesus Christ. So bless us, we pray. Help us to remember what we've heard this day from your word and keep us in your love and grace. And give us grace, Lord, with true wisdom to walk in the path of righteousness, Lord for your glory and for our good and help us to be a blessing to others we pray so we thank you father and just give us grace to love you and to love others and to trust in your son jesus christ for we ask all this in his precious name amen